Welcome back to the New Age Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White, and with me today, the A Team, consisting of Martin Theobald. Again, always with the uh, enthusiasm. Enthusiasm, mate. Terry, blur out the water, man. Terry Chapman, darling. <laughs> That's it. Wow. Hear me. All the excitement of a boxing news podcast introduction, that. God, that shit. So we've got uh, lots to get through today. Um, Mother Teresa's been uh, officially. Confirmed as a Breaking saint. news, isn't it? Yeah. <coughs> so, if you've got anything to say about Terry, do you want to slam Mother Teresa? Why not? Oh, she's lovely. She's not like that idiot Lee Mack. So, you know, God bless her. <laughs> so, that's in reference to a clip that um, we'll play a bit later on the pod. Um, when should I play it? Maybe never. Lee Mack's an idiot. <laughs> uh, Lee Mack talking to David Hay. I'll put that in now and you can all listen to it. To be fair, the first world record, the most number twos in a minute, was a w- world record that had never been attempted before. Yeah. Oh, so so there's no current, there's no, there's no uh, record to beat. Correct. So well, one would have won it. Uh, no, because they set, they set a bar. They say, you have to be at least a minimum standard. It's not like your opponents. You have to... So, yeah, you have to reach a minimum standard. Okay, so uh, hopefully it's wet your appetites for the excitement ahead. But we're going to talk about, first of all, breaking news, at least for us, in the last couple of Is Andy's Facebook official with his new missus? Mm. Woo! Yeah, well... well that Woo! Was... <laughs> Chucking that in there. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake! Right. <laughs> Klitschko versus Fury. Oh. Neither of them two are interested in my... Facebook relationship status. So the 29th of October has been officially announced by Peter Fury as the rematch date for Fury versus Klitschko. We have a question um, regarding the fight in the Manchester Arena, but I want to hear from you two first. What do y'all think about it? Uh, Well, I'm pleased that it puts an end to the speculation, the pissing about between all the stuff that goes outside of the ring, the lawyers, the contracts, the back and forth, the talk about drugs tests, etc., etc. I'm pleased that they can put that all to bed. Um, I mean, now, look, what can we hope for? We can hope that the fight actually goes ahead now in October um, and we get a definitive end to it because I think what's been disappointing is that, you know, Fury's had almost a year sat on the sidelines by the time he gets back in, as has Klitschko. Um, there's wasted a year of both of their careers, not... Not necessarily through either their faults or the legal stuff. It, you know, you could argue possibly it is, but we just want to see them in the ring. I think, you know, hopefully it's probably going to turn out the same way it did the first time. So Fury will maybe put an end to Klitschko's career, I'd suspect. If Klitschko doesn't win this, where does he go other than retirement? I don't think he's somebody who's happy to, you know, go second tier. Maybe he goes after Joshua. Um, you know, a bit of a, an ending to the career perhaps. I think we'll we'll see a replay essentially of what happened out in Germany, but I I just want to see them get it in or get it on now, and you know, just let's have nothing else. Let's have no more road bumps on the way to this fight happening. Tessa, 
It's a fight no one wants, really. Let's be honest. It's, 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 it's a year gone. We're now even more sure that Fury's going to win than we were before. They don't really want it. You know, they both wanted more lucrative routes. You know, Klitschko could have made a lot more money, but, you know, ego and pride forced him to invoke the rematch clause. Now he's a year older. You know, no matter how much you try and how much support you have, you don't fight for the time. So I'd expect Fury to, to probably break him down a lot more in the first half of the fight, then look to destroy him in the second half of the fight, just to, to make that definitive statement, because he understands that, you know, Eddie Hearn is briefing against him, is trying to sabotage, you know, his image and reputation. So what Fury needs to do is just wipe the floor with Klitschko and then, you know, stare directly into the microphone and say, Anthony Joshua, you're next. And then that puts the ball firmly in Eddie, in Eddie Hearn's court. So JFB Promotions uh, text in with a question, or well, whatever it was, Twitter, Facebook, whatever it was. Um, what is the feeling on the reception that AJ fighting in Manchester will be in comparison to the Fury fight? Uh, Martin, do you want to feel that? I'll, I'll throw it over to Terry. I think he's probably got some stern views on this. Um, big shout out to JFB Promotions, but for the record, that spa bar is utter shit. <laughs> You know, I, I I think I genuinely think the sign of a lack of intelligence is when someone sees a Facebook video of a kid hitting the spa bar, then buys two of them without buying one to test it. But then I'm not at that place anymore. So that's another discussion for another time. <laughs> so anyway, back to the comparison. Between <laughs> so, so, so JFB, just just for the record, don't mind anything else you do, but don't tell people that spa bar is any good. It's not. Save your 300 quid. <laughs> Um, you want you want so to come up with a question from JFB Promotion? <laughs> we've had the consumer review. Uh, <laughs> love you though. Call me. We'll talk. Right. So, um, so going back to the question, what will JFB do? Promotions? <laughs> um, so, so uh, the answer is means utterly. It just means nothing. Like whatever, whatever Eddie Hearn tries to tell you. Look, Joshua could fill Old Trafford for all I care. In the heavyweight division, the man is Tyson Fury. We all know that. Joshua got handed a belt that was pretty much bought for him. Fury is the lineal champion. He beat the man no one could beat. Therefore, he's always going to be the A-side because people understand his legitimacy as champion. He's he's worked his way up the ladder. He's fought everyone there is. You know, he's fought everyone on the way. People doubted him. You know, he's fought guys like Steve Cunningham. He's fought the Derek Chisoros of this world. He's he's proved himself. He's a world champion. He's a deserving world champion. He hasn't had to buy anything. He's done it the hard way. And, you know, ultimately, if you're a boxing journalist and you try and say Joshua is a bigger draw, fine. But if you say Joshua's a more deserving champion, a bigger deal in the sport of boxing, then, I mean, you need to be taken outside and shot. Uh, okay, so at risk of just being contentious, um, could you not say that Anthony Joshua has also worked about the sport having... Won a gold medal at the Olympics, and then I, I accept. Who's the fact he fought? Who's he fought that validates Charles everything Martin? he's done? Thank you. <laughs> but no, look at it. But hold it, hold it. No, no. In Charles Martin's defence, when Glasgow fell over, Charles Martin became the most valuable heavyweight on the planet. Why? Because you knew whoever it was. You could have put. I mean, you could, you could have put a three-year-old in with Charles Martin. They would have won. So this guy's carrying a belt that generates money. And How did he get the chance to fight for that belt if he was so poo? Because they took it a fury in, 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 a, in a fit of anger. They took it a fury. They went, shit, we've got no one to actually fight for this belt that we've just taken off Tyson Fury because Klitschko had laid waste to the division. 
So so all of a sudden now you have Charles Martin being the most valuable guy. Eddie Hearn stumps up that six million dollars to say, look, we could have paid for postage and packing, but we thought you could just bring it over and hand it to him. Um, okay, so we, well, now we know that it's the 29th of October and it's happening in Manchester and the comparison between the two. Can, um, can you just give us a quick roundup as to what actually happened and why it's taken this long to... I mean, we've had the injury. But can you just give a, a quick roundup as to why it's taken a year for the rematch clause to be invoked? Um, well, there's three component parts to it, I guess. There was initially the... Uh, you know, the rematch was meant to be happening. It was signed off. And then Fury got an injury, uh, so his ankle injury, if you remember, a few months back that went very, very um, bruised on his pictures on social media. <laughs> I'm using the word bruised lightly because I'm still not convinced it was. Uh, and then you had Fury... Max Factor bruised. Yeah. Um, then you had Fury failing a drugs test, and that threw a bit of a spanner in the works. And then you've had Klitschko come out, what was that, maybe three, four weeks ago, saying that he was going to be taking Klitsch, uh, Fury to court because of the contract negotiations. So no one knows what goes on behind the, the doors of all the, the contract stuff, what happens between the lawyers, etc. But it, that's what I was saying earlier, no more road bumps. Um, just want to see it. You know, it's been a year, as Terry says, the appetite for this fight... If the fight happened three months after, if it happened in February of this year, then there's probably still a bit of an appetite for it. Why, why didn't it happen in February? I have no idea, really. Vladimir um, didn't want it. So if you go back to what happened in November, Klitschko basically disappeared for a while. So you can call it soul-searching. You can call it, you know, upping your, your prescriptions. I don't know what you want to call it. But ultimately, you know, he came to a realisation, actually, I'm not in bad shape. I've had a few rounds sparring. You know, uh, maybe, maybe that was an off night. You know, people can convince you anything. Vitaly's probably telling him, nah, that was just a one off. Fury can't do that again. So you say, right, I want to invoke the, the rematch clause. But let's not forget, Fury's just become a dad again. So I'm sure that was playing on his mind prior to the initial fight date. Now, it seems that, you know, new, new baby is born healthy. So now he, I guess he can focus on actually, you know, tearing Klitschko a new one. Okay. Well, let's move on. Um, we have the big fight this weekend, or well, the biggest fight certainly in the near future. Brooke in the UK, ver- okay. Brooke versus Golovkin. It's, well, it's going to be at least the biggest fight until until the bell rings, and then it might just be a ten second wonder or whatever. But it's um, not even the biggest fight that night. You don't think so? No, I suppose it won't no, be much of a an entertainment. There's Gonzalez Quadras, which we'll touch later. If but- you like someone getting put in hospital, you might you might think. <laughs> Because Golovkin's got to come into it. Okay, so yeah, Brooke Golovkin. What, uh, what, what is there left to talk about? Um, I don't know, really. End of. <laughs> okay, well, let's go. Let's go to. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'll edit that because that was. So Brooke Golovkin come out this weekend. Um, right. There's there's been lots talked about this fight. Martin, can you, or Terry actually? Can you give us a? All right, fuck you. A um. Brett, what are, what, are, what are we looking at when we look at the styles of those two fighters coming into this fight? Jeez, oh, what do you say? That hasn't been said already. You have a guy in Golovkin who can adapt to anything. You have a guy in Brook who's fundamentally sound. I'd say actually fundamentally excellent. Um, I go back about 13, 14 years being sat in a red Ferrari 355 outside Broomhill Mosque with Prince Nassim Hamid. And and the conversation started with yeah. Is this like a Jimmy Savile story? 
Nah, I was twice his size, for God's sake. <laughs> um, no, so we're talking about, we're talking about the same topic. about the sexiness game. thing. What would Joe think? <laughs> really? You know, you, you guys are here digging me, you know, you're meant to be a new man. <laughs> No, so so we were talking about the St. Thomas's Club, uh, as, as it's known colloquially, the Ingle Gym. And he was the guy who said, you see a lad in there called Kel Brook? And this is when Kel was probably a teenager. I was like, yeah, kid looks like he's got something. And so I've known I've known the guy for ages. Um, I've seen him in his more awkward phase. And I think what Dominic's done is probably made him a bit more conventional than Ingle fighters are known for being. But he's so fundamentally sound that you don't expect him to get out jabbed, but I just don't think he's got the power because when I, when I, when I talk to people about boxing, I talk about this idea that you have a reservoir of willpower that's got to get you through 12 rounds of boxing. And the more experienced you are, the bigger that reservoir is. Once Golovkin starts hitting you, it empties at three or four times the rate you're used to. So halfway through the fight, basically you're, you're just going on instinct. And I think Brooks going to find that. I, my my prediction has always been a stoppage in the fourth round. I don't think there's much Brook can do because I think the way to frustrate Golovkin is to box him on the inside. You know, you'd like to see someone like a Roberto Duran in the ring against Golovkin because just deny him the space to get the leverage going. Deny, excuse me, deny him the space to get his angles going and just literally sit in the pocket, head on his chest, throwing uppercuts and hooks and see if he likes that for six rounds. Martin, um, Neil Shaw on Twitter at ShawE78. What do you think Brook's next move would be if he beats Golovkin? I think um, it would probably be on a unicorn, to be honest. <laughs> That's the likelihood. Um, that, I speak with Neil on, on Twitter quite a lot. He's a very passionate Sheffield man, so he'll be back in Brook, I'm sure. If he wins it, then, um, God, there's so many doors that open up for him. So does he stay at middleweight and fight Billy Joe Saunders? Big domestic clash, but is there any money in a Saunders fight? Probably not, to be honest, because he doesn't garner the uh, publicity. So I don't see that necessarily as something that they would look at. Does he move down to light middleweight? Um, where there's Liam Smith hanging about. So Liam Smith fighting Canelo, um, in September. The ideal scenario for Eddie Hearn, I would suspect, is A, obviously Kelbrook wins, but B, that Liam Smith wins and beats Canelo, because that launches Liam Smith to a whole new audience that wouldn't necessarily know about him at present, and opens up that opportunity for Kelbrook to move out of the middleweight division, where he's not, <clears throat> you know, they say he's a big welterweight, but that doesn't mean he's a middleweight. He can move to light middleweight. And I say, in, a, in an ideal scenario, I'd suspect for Eddie Hearn is that Liam Smith goes over to America, um, beats Canelo, and then they could match those two up. I think the one thing, win or lose, that we're probably not going to see is back down to welterweight. Um, question, question here. Who has the best chance of winning out of Smith and Brooke in their respective fights? I think you'd have to say Liam Smith, just purely off of... You know, I'm not basing it on Liam Smith. On the basis, Brooke doesn't have a chance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, where, where's your benchmark? Let's go back to Lee Mack and David Hay for this. Where's your benchmark for it? I'm not giving Brooke much of a chance against Triple G. I would give Smith a bigger chance because it's a more even matchup in many ways. Okay, Terry, I've got a quick question for you. If Brooke beats Golovkin, so I see people that seem to be 
interested in if this happens. I think on the basis that subconsciously they probably know that it's unlikely. But anyway, Paul Hindley at Paul Hindley 82. If Brook beats Golovkin, how will that rank as all-time wins in terms of British fighters? Yes. No, really. Um, let, let's let's look at British home. Well, let's look at home home soil victories. This country fell in love with Bruno winning against McCall. Um, there hasn't been a reaction like it in this country since. Probably very hard to to top that. Um, Lewis versus Bruno equally as significant. Um, Froch Groves, you know, when when Groves had Froch down, even though he didn't win that fight, that knockdown. The reaction that engendered, you know, those are life-changing, sport-changing moments. But if we want to look at a British boxer who really shocked the world, you've got to go back to 1986, so we're looking at 10 years ago, September 20. 27th. 20 years ago. Yeah, and Donald Curry versus Lloyd Hunnigan. So, just for, by way of context, Donald Curry was a guy who was laying waste to everyone he fought. You know, he was feared. He was, he was basically the Golovkin of his time because he was pound for pound number one or well into that discussion, you know, and looked unbeatable. You have this English guy, Lloyd Hunnigan, out, pretty much out of Bermondsey, shown up basically as cannon fodder, takes the fight to Donald Curry. Curry doesn't really want it. And Lloyd Hunnigan wins. Probably the greatest win by a British boxer, full stop. But, you know, also remarkable for how spectacularly Hunnigan screwed his career up after that. Fuck, that's 30 years ago, isn't it, actually? Thinking about it. This is 30. Jesus. Yeah, sorry, I wasn't um, even counting then. Yeah. Mass has never been a strong point collectively. Um, let's. <laughs> have you guys got anything else to say about Golovkin Brook? No, think- well, all I wanted to say was. If Brook were to, in fact, whether Brook wins or loses, the next logical fight for Kel Brook is Cotter. Um, Cotter's in need of a dance partner of some stature because he has massive guarantees of Rock Nation in his contract. Kel Brook will need a dance partner who's not young and hungry, who instead will rely on experience. Height-wise, style-wise, in terms of where the guys go, it will be a fantastic meshing of styles in that fight. And that's a, genuinely a big fight. So I think you know, in life, in life of what we said before about Eddie Hearn wanting to cash out on Kelbrook, you'd be looking for Cotto and or Canelo. Yeah, I think just in reference to the fight itself, um, I think this time next week we'll probably be sat around here saying it was a stupid move. I think that's probably what it's going to come down to is that it's not to say that Brook will, you know, get hospitalised or anything. I just. <laughs> I don't see it as being a close fight. I don't see it... Um, like, normally when big fights come... Like, even the Khan Canelo one, closer to the fight, I, I never thought Khan was going to win, but your mind starts to even it out somehow. I just... I don't see it in this sense at all. Like, at the time you were thinking, well, Khan's a little bit quicker than Canelo. Maybe you can get to him and outlast him. For, you know, you kind of... You block out all the sensible stuff, like Khan can't protect his chin for 12 rounds. I don't have that feeling at all with, uh, with, I, I just, there's no, it's not even that exciting to me. Like, <laughs> I'm excited to see Triple G over in England at a reasonable time, so I don't have to stay up until three o'clock in the morning. That's what it comes down to for me. And I, I just think this time next week we'll be discussing it wasn't a very good idea. Okay, so I think the final le- thing left to do is, well, oh, can I point out on this as well before we move on? So, 
it's it's kind of gone under the radar a little bit about the WBA haven't sanctioned this fight, so it's not for the WBA title that Golovkin holds. So it'll still be for the IBF and the WBC. Obviously, the WBO is with Saunders. Um, but yeah, the WBA, which is absolutely brilliant. So a sanctioning body that has like three world titles in any one weight division at any one time, who are so farcical in many, many ways, see this as a fight that they won't sanction um, because they see it as too big a, a mismatch, I believe. It's, it's, well, they haven't given an official reason, but that's the one that if you deduced from what they've said um so yeah to me that kind of sums it up a little bit really that if one of the the bodies well the the belt sanctioning bodies that is involved in the fight refuse to put their belt on the line then that probably says quite a lot about it do you have anything to add Terry? um wish brook all the best um speaking just as a boxing person may he come can he come out of this in one piece and able to continue his career it's a big risk he's taking on um, I'd love to be here in seven days saying we were all wrong. Sadly, I I don't think Golovkin's going to let that well, happen. I think I think if anything, we might be he might be fortunate in the fact that I I assume Golovkin's basically going to knock him out, which would be great. What you don't want is him to be punished and then for them to slack crap referee and that just allows him to get battered for look at what happened ten to, rounds. Look at what happened to Martin Murray in Monaco against Golovkin. He's not been the same since. You just want a, a nice clean knockout. <laughs> well, <isn't laughs> obviously, Brooke to win. But. Well, no, no. But what, what you what you do, and it's one of the weird things. Is it's exactly what I'd I'd have said to Cal. I'd have said, listen, watch Nigel Ben versus Iron Barkley. Yeah, how Ben came up for that first round is how you got to go out against Golovkin. And if that doesn't work, keep doing it and take the knockout. Just go out on your shield. I discussed this the other day with somebody on Twitter and said that if I was. Brooks training team I would train him for a four round fight like just put everything into like the first 12 minutes just train for a 12 minute fight so you're so explosive for those 12 minutes and accept that it probably won't go much longer than that now personally I think it's probably going to go into about the eighth round is my prediction but I say if I was his training team I would say just go out throw it hell for leather as Terry says for four rounds Except that after that, if you haven't got it done, then you're probably going to get wiped out yourself. Hasn't there been um, talk of um, pictures and stuff of Brook looking bigger than Golovkin? It's irrelevant. You know, but it's not... So, um, what the point I was going to then lead on to was, what is the best that Kel Brook can hope for here? Is it points win or could To live. (laughs) To live. (laughs) Would he aim for a knockout? No, because... As big as Brook is, like the the additional muscle isn't battle hardened muscle like Golovkin. Like when Golovkin walks into that ring at 158, 159 pounds, every sinew of his body is battle tested. He knows that. He knows he's a middleweight. Brook, maybe 75 percent of his battle tested because he's a welter. So the additional muscle hasn't been conditioned. It hasn't been battered. It hasn't been through the hell of a middleweight fight. So. I, there isn't anything he can deliver here where, you know, you're looking at it going, this is quite close. Okay, um, predictions then to wrap this segment up. Uh, round eight, Golovkin. Golovkin, fourth round stoppage. Okay. And um, you, Andy? Come on, you're holding us on it. Sixth. <laughs> I'm just going to go in the middle. I got, actually, I've got a feeling it's going to be the seventh round, if I'm honest. Golovkin to win seventh round. Um... I feel as though I should back Brooke just because you two haven't, but 
I can't bring myself in any good. Well, so then next week you turn up, and this is what pisses me off. It's people like yeah, this. This really gets on my tits, actually. Um, Spencer Fearon is the prime one that you see his interviews, and he keeps retweeting it about how he thinks Brooke is going to win, um, and he's like he's very, very confident about. It. Fair enough. Like if that's what you think, that's what you think. I don't genuinely believe Spencer Fearon thinks Kelbrook will win. I genuinely don't think he has that mindset. But what it means is that if Kelbrook wins, Spencer Fearon can live off this for the rest of his fucking life going, well, I told you Kelbrook would win it because I knew he had the right tools. And if Kelbrook doesn't win, he can forget about it. Like, there's no, there's no risk to him in making that prediction. He'll never retweet that video again. He'll never do anything. But, if Kelbrook does win it, expect that video to be retweeted once every 20 minutes for the rest of Spencer Fearon's life. Okay, let us move swiftly on. On the undercard for Brooke Golovkin, we've got Haskins versus Hall. Um, what you got to say? Yes, it's a rematch. Uh, it's IBF Bantamweight title. They met um, a few years back. Haskins won. Uh, I love Lee Haskins. I think he's a, a great fighter. And I think we're probably going to see a similar outcome. Um, I don't see what Stuart Hall can do differently. He hasn't changed as a fighter since they last met. We've seen him on Sky a couple of times. He lost the title to Randy Caballero out in Monaco. Um, you could see his limitations in that fight in that he's still an archetypal, I'm sure Terry would probably put it, northern fighter. He's come forward. He wants to scrap. Lee Haskins has got too much. He's too slick. He's... He's a powerful fighter as well. I think it, his style and his um, yeah his fighting style doesn't necessarily um, adapt to that power, but he can hit, he can bang. I like watching Lee Haskins. I think that will probably, if I'd take a part, I'd say that's probably going to be the best fight on the card. Um, I think Lee Haskins wins it probably on points. Terry, um, I, I take the general rule, rematches very rarely reverse the original decision. So, I'd imagine Haskins to win. Um, Stuart Hall, everyone knows my view on these. He's, he's a, he's a plodder, very upright, you know, hands, hands up, very stiff. Not a great judge of distance, so doesn't know his real punching distance. Whereas you got Haskins, who is that, is, is in many ways just, he's a textbook southpaw, in and out quickly. You know, feints the jab. You know, I mean, then works the backhand in. Probably doesn't dig enough with the lead hooks, which is somewhat concerning. But I don't think there's anything Hall has that he needs to worry about. And in fact, you know, the real question is, where's the McDonald fight? That's what we really want. No, I agree. I think the Jamie McDonald fight is the better fight and one that it's a shame that it's not on this card instead, really. Like, don't get me wrong, that, that probably deserves a card of its own for those two. But Haskins goes under the radar. It's a common theme amongst non-Hearn world title holders. Um, you know, you look, look, if if Hearn managed or promoted Haskins, Haskins would be the greatest <coughs> of all time. He'd be telling you Haskins was better than Pacquiao at his peak. You'd hear all of this stuff. But when he's not, you see how he's silent about it. Won't even just say, do you know what, I like Lee Haskins, which he should do. You know, that's the way to be magnanimous as a promoter. But it's just further confirmation that Eddie Hearn's 80% full of shit. Yeah, no, I'd completely agree. I think Lee Haskins has a saleability to him. You know, he's a, a decent bloke. He can talk. He's a good fighter. He's an exciting fighter. He's a stylish fighter. He's not with Hearn, yet he's a world champion. So that means that you won't hear from Hearn about him. And it, it's tragic, really. Okay, for the IBF flyweight title, we have Edwards versus Casemiro. Terry? 
Um, they, they've clearly seen something they think they can beat in Casemiro. So I'd expect Edwards to have a really good chance of winning this. I don't think Matching would put him in with anyone who could give him a 50-50 fight. They've invested too much in the young man. So I would expect him to, to win. Um, I like Edwards. You know, box is very basic, but he's busy with it. He has a lovely left hook to the body, which is a punch British fighters rarely master, but is one of the most effective punches in boxing. And he has that right hand, which I call the, the GB right hand. Like all the GB boxers have it where they can time you moving backwards. And it's almost like a heat seeking missile and it just catches you. You know, if you saw the last Anthony Gogo fight, prime example, it just flies in a straight line and seems to do a lot of damage. So he's got the tools to do it. Uh, you know, am I that excited? 115 pounds. I never get a, haven't been that excited in that division since the, the days of, Mark Two Sharp Johnson, and that's a long time ago. Yeah, um, yeah, I like Charlie Edwards. One thing to remember: this is Charlie Edwards' ninth professional fight, and he's going for the world title. So, as Terry says, it's not like Matchroom. I mean, don't get me wrong; he can lose this fight, and it doesn't necessarily matter too much. It's his ninth professional fight; they can roll that out afterwards, and he's still got a huge career ahead of him. Um, if I'm honest, I don't know an awful lot about Casemiro. Um, so any chance I'd give Edwards is based purely upon what I've seen of Edwards. Um, so I don't know. He looks in one thing. Yeah. One thing to note is he looks in phenomenal shape. Like I'm not one, you know, I don't admire men's bodies particularly or anything like that, but fuck me. Like, lie. <laughs> like that lad is looking in some shape. Um, so, you know, he's got a good skill set and engine wise, you've got to think he's going to be able to go based upon what you've, you've seen of him. Um, He's been out in Marbella training. I think, again, I can't really make an educated conversation about it because I only really know Charlie Edwards. I don't know Casemiro. Um, but, you know, ninth professional fight, it'd be impressive if he does it. Okay, let's move on. Throw it over the fence. Across the pond, we have Ronan Gonzalez versus Carlos Quadras for the WBC Super Flyweight title. What can you tell us? I can tell you it's the biggest fight happening on Saturday night anywhere in the world. Like, rule out Brook Golovkin for a start. Um, the Nicaraguan Gonzalez, um, the Roman Empire, as he likes to go by. It's his first step up to super flyweight. He's coming up from being a uh, flyweight title holder. I can't remember his record. It's like 43-0 and or something. Um, like, he is phenomenal. Like, probably, you know, pound for pound, such a flawed idea, but... You know, you'd have to put him if you were going to make some hypothetical list up. He's got to be somewhere near the top of that. Um, he's just power. You know, typically super flyweight isn't a very exciting division. I know Andy, like you don't get excited by the smaller people, but he is an exciting fighter. Um, and Cuadras, uh, the Mexican, he's a Mexican fighter. He comes to fight. Like this is going to be something special. Um, I think. It has all the makings of a much better fight than Brook Golovkin. It's worth staying up for. And the other interesting thing, um, Nayo Inoue has stepped up from, uh, I think he's, well, no, he's in super flyweight, sorry, which way Gonzalez is going into. So Nayo Inoue is the, uh, I think he's Japanese, like, beast of a man. Um, so if this opens the door for Nayo Inoue versus, uh, Roman Gonzalez, which hopefully it will, because I think Gonzalez will probably win this then that is a fight to be excited about next. Like That is the next super fight. 
albeit you know it's only really appealing to those that have an interest in the lower divisions but um Quadras coming into this has said that Gonzalez is too small he isn't a super flyweight like himself he said he'll slap him around I think anyone that can slap uh Gonzalez around down at those lower weights would be an impressive feat I don't think it's going to happen I think Gonzalez is just a wrecking ball down at uh, you know amongst those lower weights he is the wrecking ball of those divisions um so I'll check it over to you Terry there's an expression I like the Americans for inventing and it's the hipster box the hipster boxer and Gonzalez is one of those he's he's this, he's a guy who went from nothing to Mayweather going yeah I'm a big fan of Chocolatito suddenly he's in everyone's pound for pound list um he's 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 okay to watch fundamentally sound that there's no pyrotechnics with him he's consistent fundamentally sound doesn't give a lot away but he can be hit does get hit a fair bit um, it's he's an okay fight. It's an okay fight, but look, he's better than okay. From from one <laughs> from one twelve to one eighteen, you can't get excited because it's like watching fourteen year olds box. <laughs> so I I don't get that excited about all of those. So when I hear people say these guys are incredible, it's like well, they're smaller versions of what we're used to. So everything's faster, everything's kind of bouncy and happy. But he he's a guy who I'll. I'll He's one of these 8 out of 10 guys. If you were to say his jab, 8 out of 10. Footwork, 8 out of 10. And he's consistent through all of that. Which means you can watch him and you can appreciate what he does. But when I look at him, I go, what's the X factor? What's the one thing I'm going to come and watch and go, ooh. You know, like, I'm I'm a Duran fan. So when I watch Roberto Duran, there's some, I mean, it's the clever stuff he does there, which actually blows my mind. And for me, like, that's what gets me excited about boxing. It's like when I watch someone like a Miguel Cotto now, and he'll, you know, I've seen him throw the left hook a million times, but he always finds new ways to land it, and you think, okay. With Roman Gonzalez, it's the same thing every time. It's just that he's so consistent and he's quite good at it that you know what you're getting with him. It's watchable. Um, I think the Inui fight will be good. Um, at the moment, I think he just needs to move to... 118, so, you know, start challenging himself, you know, start calling out, you know, I mean, get, get to those Haskins levels, start calling those sorts of the bigger guys out, because that's what greatness is. Greatness is where you might not have the size advantage, your skills then get you over the line. And there really isn't that much money down at the lower weights, so if you can draw that attention to yourself by doing that, you start drawing money in as well. And it's the point with Charlie Edwards, the problem he has is this. At, I always say, is Edwards 112 or 115? It's, it's, it's one of the two. You're only really ever ma- matching against Mexicans, Panamanians, Nicaraguans. Because, or Andrew Selby, who he swerved. Yeah, because there's not many people, <laughs> and there's not many people in box markets who are that small normally. It's very, even on the amateur side, it's hard to get those sorts of guys matched. So you will find that they all get to world title level relatively quickly because really the, the pool's not that deep. So I'd expect that to happen. Um, you know, will Prince Patel follow hot on his heels? God knows. We'll see. No, because he's shit. <laughs> you see, the thing is, Prince Patel's not like like I, I I'm I'm a fan of his because, like I always say, he got he he got stitched up by NFL in that first interview after his debut. He got stitched up royally, and, and he's I, carrying on doing it for his career. And I and I feel for him because now he's painted into that corner of being the controversial guy when someone should have set him down. Probably Goodwin instead of jettisoning him should have just set him down and gone look. There might be a time to do that, but this isn't the time to do that. But if you watch Prince Patel and the Amateurs, there's enough there to say, 
it's a style that will translate into the pros. It's just about being in the right setup. His stolen draw against a journeyman out in Norwich. I've seen that fight. Yeah. He stole a draw against a journeyman. But that's down to the camp you're in. You know, you you have you have Patel in a camp run by someone like a Joe Gallagher, and you see the difference in performance. Quite possibly, yeah. I mean, Andrew Selby's the one to watch in that weight division outside of Charlie Edwards. And they were meant to fight for the British, but it never it never came off, did it? I think um, Edwards pulled out of it. Which, fair enough, he's got this bigger stuff to go on to. But There's a guy I'm excited about. Andrew Selby, Selby yeah, yeah. Okay, um, I want to move on to the WBA middleweight tournament. Um, a few things have been announced about that. So Yeah, so uh, Gilberto Mendoza has come out and um, he's obviously seen the clear success of the heavyweight tournament that's got everyone buzzing. <laughs> uh, the one that's fallen flat on its arse. So you had, uh, if you remember rightly, it was going to be Fury Klitschko and then Freza Quendo had a bye and it was Lucas Brown versus Chagaev and it was Luis Ortiz versus I can't remember. So Lucas Brown beats Chagaev. <laughs> yeah, so Lucas Brown beats Chagaev, fails a drugs test, no one knows what's going on with it. Klitschko Fury falls apart in multiple ways. Freza Quendo's still hanging about waiting for his fight, and Luis Ortiz has now left Golden Boy so he's out doing what he wants. Um, so that heavyweight tournament has fallen to absolute pieces and that idea was to um, get rid of the interim and the regular and just have a super champion. So that's gone really, really well. And so they've decided <laughs> to roll out the same idea across the middleweights. Um, so they've announced they want a tournament that would involve Gennady Golovkin, uh, Chris Eubank Jr., Danny Jacobs and someone else. And I can't remember off the top of my head who it is. Um, so the idea is that they would have one of these tournaments again to get rid of the regular title, which Danny Jacobs presently holds, um, and just have the single one. But it, it just seems like such a flawed concept again, um, in that you have, uh, it's almost as if the WBA are acting as if they're the solitary sanctioning body in boxing and they're forgetting the fact that fighters may want to fight other champions, may want to go down other routes. And they're just seemingly trying to mandate these fights themselves um, to make their own champion. Now, this is a man-made hole that they're trying to dig out of. And it's just going to be a struggle. Like, I don't I don't see why they're going ahead trying to do this. Because in reality, it's just not happening. It's if we're, in, if we're 12 months down the line and this tournament has come to fruition and we're looking forward to a big title uh, showdown as the final, I would be shocked. So there's nothing much to report on this other than the fact that it's a waste of time? Yeah, pretty much. Let's say, I can only base it upon history. Like That's the best way to look at how these things are likely to work. And based upon very, very, very recent history in a tournament that was sanctioned, they failed to you know, push through with it. Like, yes, some of those first round fights came off. Fury Klitschko was more by luck than judgment. Um and is still hanging over us, and Brown Chagayev fell apart, and now Brown's apparently fighting somebody else for the WBA regular title. Like, <laughs> Just get rid of the titles, mate. Like, You've got to a point where Brown beats Chagayev and then gets done for drug-taking. At that point, nobody holds that title in theory because Brown beats Chagayev, and then you take it off of him because he failed a drugs test. Surely that's the ideal opportunity to say this belt no longer exists. Like, It's so up in the air. It doesn't exist any longer. But instead, no, they're going to roll it back out and keep... So, <laughs> I, I don't know. I lose the will to live with that. 
Which is funny because the WBA are normally so good with their specifics on their title holders. But never mind. Um, let's move on to some questions. Billy Joe Saunders. How good is he and how does he compare to other top middleweights sent in by David McGinley? Thank you, David. You've got three questions in today. Winner. Um, Terry? Well, he compares favourably. Um, let's take, let's take Gennady Golovkin off the table for now. And let's also take the 154 guys who could move up. Saunders compares favourably. I'd put him in there with Jacobs. I'd put him in there with Quillen. I'd put him in there with Andy Lee again. You'd put him in there with Curtis Stevens. I mean, you'd put him in there with the smaller Tudin off. You'd, you'd put him in there with any middleweight. Even Chris Eubank Jr. and say he's competitive. Um, you know, sound technically, has good game judgment. And, you know, I dump on a lot of British boxing coaches, but the Tibbs family definitely know their boxing. So he's in the right hands. And, you know, when you're with Warren, your career gets managed the right way. So if you're to, if you're to, put a circle around the top three middleweights it would include Billy Joe Saunders I think uh, when you say about the Warren aspect of it it's, it bothers me that Saunders is so inactive as a champion um, and you know he was recently meant to fight Max Bursak and had the world's most convenient injury for a fight that wasn't selling um, that was never an injury at all but I think, Frank, one, we discussed it previously when we talked about which promoter would you be with to take a fighter through the different levels. I think Frank Warren is brilliant at handling a fighter up to that level, but when they get to that level, like the level of exposure that he can offer a fighter when he gets there is limited. Like Liam Smith is very much the exception to the rule going out and fighting Canelo. I think you know that's all driven by the Canelo side of it, the Golden Boy side of it. When you hear, um, like Billy, just quickly, is that his own? Is that Frank Warren's own fault for the way that he's conducting his sort of like business and his sports channel and whatever? Um, possibly, you know, it's uh, I can you say it's his own fault? He doesn't have the financial backing that Hearn has. Like that's not his fault necessarily. His the main money going in and it's quite open knowledge that supports Box Nation is from Raynham Steel. Um, so they provide a lot of the financing for it. He just doesn't have that money. So I think what sums it up best about it is that um, Billy Joe Saunders was being discussed to go on the undercard of Liam Smith versus Canelo. He was meant to be fighting out there and then it hasn't happened. It's fallen through. But one of the things that Billy Joe Saunders, he was very like, you could see he was um, uncomfortable in an IFL interview when he was talking about it. He clearly wasn't happy about the situation himself. But what they talk about, and Frank Warren talks about, is that the offer made by, and I think they were talking, I, I can't remember who it was that they were talking about um, for the fight, but whoever it was, um, their side didn't make a good enough offer to Billy Joe Saunders' side. Now, I just think if you reverse that around, a world title holder in Hearn's camp, not that I'm a big Eddie Hearn fan by any means, but how many of his world title holders do they get offers for? So, like, when they were talking about the offer for Billy Joe Saunders to go and fight on the undercard of this, like, so many of Hearn's fighters, they offer out to the opponent. It doesn't, yes, it does happen the other way around occasionally, but so many of his world title holders, they call the shots in terms of offering the contracts out to other fighters. Saunders being with Warren, you know, that's a very limited then, um, pool of opportunity to bring fighters over because it costs a lot of money to get fighters over. Now, Saunders isn't a danger man. Like, to get, um, Andy Joshua opponents to come over, whatever, you pay them big money because 
he's going to hurt you. He's going to beat you up if you're not that good, if you're not one of the elite ones. Billy Joe Saunders isn't going to hurt you and beat you up. He's going to outskill you, outbox you. Yes, you, you know, you're clearly going to get hurt. It's a fight. But, you know, he's not, um, necessarily in the same danger bracket of a Golovkin or you could put Eubank Jr. in that same bracket to an extent. Um, that explosive power, that explosive ability to hurt somebody doesn't necessarily live with Billy Joe Saunders. But his technical ability is like astounding. Um, yeah, he is a world class operator. As Terry said, you'd happily put him in with anyone outside of, of Golovkin. Um, yes, Eubank Jr. has improved somewhat since they first met and is a more disciplined fighter, but, you know, you couldn't rule Billy Joe Saunders out of being able to, you know, not toy with him, but be able to manipulate him a little bit for that fight. Like, Eubank wouldn't have his own way, like we're seeing of late with so many of these domestic level fighters. Saunders is such a level above that. Um, there's always going to be the question marks over his engine and can he keep it going for 12? There's always going to be that question mark because he doesn't, he's not a disciplined fighter. He's from a traveling background. Now, you see the three main traveling fighters of today's boxing era. Frankie Gavin, Billy Joe Saunders, Tyson Fury. There's a common theme between the three of them in terms of how they look. They're a little bit fleshy. Um, but they do it clean. Though. They're the ones that aren't on the PEDs. Yeah. They, they, they do it clean yeah, yeah. and they look like clean boxes. Yeah, they look like clean, but they look like a person would look like if they didn't have the assistance of some of the advanced science, if we were to put it another way. Um, yeah, James the Gale, throw him in the same bracket, not a traveler, but he looks like a clean person. Um, so yeah, sorry, I've gone off kilter entirely, but Billy Joe Saunders, you'd have to put him up. Even the Golovkin, I'd love to see him fight Golovkin because I'm not thinking he would necessarily win, but he has a skill set that is very different to all those fighters that Golovkin has fought so far. So why doesn't he get, um, cause he, um, I remember being at the, um, fight where Eubank fought Nick Blackwell and, uh, at the other side of the ring, Billy Joe Saunders said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm coming for GGG next. Now, clearly, you're not going to know what's gone on there, if anything at all. But why hasn't that fight happened instead of Kel Brook? I'm coming for GGG next. Right, we've got it on microphone now, so that makes it fact, doesn't it? <laughs> no, it doesn't make it fact at all. Like, Would you come for Triple G next? If you can still earn a substantial amount of money not fighting Golovkin... Would you come for Golovkin next? Probably not. Like, Warren is great at holding those belts hostage, those WBO belts. Um, there's no reason for him to fight Golovkin yet, aside from if that big amount of money comes up. And he's quite honest about it. You see it in his interviews where he says if the money's right, he'll fight Golovkin. If the money's not right, he won't. This is what I'm saying about Frank Warren. So how much money is Hearn putting into this pot to be able to fight, you know, to get Brooke the Golovkin fight? Bring Golovkin over here, sell however many pay-per-views. Like, there's a substantial down payment involved in doing that. Has Frank Warren got that ability to put down, you know, that kind of money to bring Golovkin over here for Billy Joe Saunders' fight is, you know, probably debatable. Well, he's not going to be fighting Billy Joe Saunders because he's fighting you now because we've obviously got it on microphone. No, he's fighting Kel Brook, mate. <laughs> um, okay, let's move on to the next, well, the better questions now where we're racking up the weights. Right. Slag off everyone who's asked a question so far. Yeah. <laughs> More David McGinley stuff. You've up the ante now. Um, who out of Pulev, Price, Parker, and Stavern would give Anthony Joshua the biggest test? Terry, go on. Terry. Um, so I say take Stavern out. Stavern will fight God knows who for the WBC Quebec. number one status. 
Um, hopefully Povetkin's clean for this one. So Stavern's <laughs> off the table. My view is Pulev is off the table. I don't think Pulev will take the fight. Um, so that leaves Price and who's the other one? Parker. So at least Price and Parker, Parker will take the step aside money. Why? Because financially it makes sense. Just, you don't lose your number one ranking and you're just that irritant and it lets the fight build. And Parker is fighting Dimitrenko in October, which just for anyone out there, that's, that's how you build a profile. You fight guys like Dimitrenko. Why? Because Dimitrenko is not dangerous, but he's a guy who'll give you rounds and he'll try and find holes in your arsenal. So, fair play to the guys handling Joseph Parker. They're bringing him along the right way. You know, they didn't buy a belt or anything like that. So, you look at you look at it, and really, you know, when you see that Josh is fighting in Manchester, you then start to draw the conclusion that they're going to give it to Price. I don't think they're going to give it to Hay, because congratulations to Shane McGuigan. He's just got married. I assume there's a honeymoon, so there's not enough time for the training camp for November the 26th. So, you look at it and you go, right, they're going to give him David Price. Is Joshua scared of Price? Why should he be? You know, Joshua will hit him with a jab and probably floor him. So, well, we're in the middle of what I call the Joshua paradox now. And this is something I predicted would happen in after he fought Dillian White. If you think you can beat Anthony Joshua, you want to fight him right now. Before, before he can learn any new tricks, before he can become more seasoned and experienced, you want to fight him now. You know, that way you've got it out of the way. You've given him his loss. You've taken his belt and you've done your work. Eddie Hearn knows that and will not let anyone near Joshua who poses any degree of threat to him. So what does that mean? That means Eddie Hearn's only going to pick people he's confident Joshua can beat and beat impressively. So if you're someone like Pulev, what you're saying is, you've brought me over to be cannon fodder. I want to be paid handsomely. I know what you paid Charles Martin. I know what you paid Brazil. You need to pay me more than Brazil because I'm far more seasoned and accomplished. Does Eddie want to pay that? Don't know because it's becoming expensive now because you needed a couple of fights to legitimize Joshua's champion. It hasn't worked out the way you wanted it to. So now you want guys like Pulev and he's going to charge a lot of money for no other reason than he can just rematch Chisora and make 80% of what he would have made fighting Joshua. So why wouldn't you take the easier fight against Chisora? That's why you see Chisora doesn't make any Joshua noises because he's like, the money you'd have to give me to take that beating isn't money you can afford. So Joshua's in the middle of this paradox where half the boxing world wants to fight him because they know they can beat him. The other half want to be paid fabulously well for losing to him. And Eddie Hearn is trying to juggle this and try and make his champion look legitimate. But Joshua's still not legitimate. Okay. Um, for what it's worth, I think... Right, so yeah, I wanted to ask, if all of the pre-determined fights were just out of the window tomorrow and we were arranging an anti-Joshua fight who would hurt him more Pulev, Price, Park or Stavern I realise that there's different offers on the table what have you but who do, who do you think mine would, would come would, would well, give well, him Terry's okay. looking into this one oh, okay. he's poised ready to pounce Stavern um, Stavern's been inactive for a while and Stavern's getting old and slow but he's he's got that seasoning which means he might know what to do the only thing is he's relatively inactive in a fight. He's not one for a high volume of punches. So you wonder. David Price hasn't got the jab to scare Joshua. He's got the right hand to scare him, but he hasn't got the jab. So Stavern's still ahead of him. Stavern's ahead of Parker, because I just don't think Parker has any ammunition that's dangerous at the moment. And Pulev is he's a sound, steady boxer, but he has no dynamite either. So you probably look at Stavern 
but he's off the table at the moment. Okay. Um, anything to add? Um, yeah, I mean, for the record, I think uh, I'll go against what Terry said, and I think it will probably end up being Pulev, but I, I don't say I have any great deal of confidence. I just... I think if it were going to be price, they would probably try and build price back up a little bit more. But I don't say I have any great degree of confidence, particularly. Um, in terms of who tests him most, yeah, you're probably right. Stiverne. I mean, Stiverne went 12 rounds with Deontay Wilder when he was knocking out all these bums in a similar fashion to, uh, to, what, Anthony, uh, to what Anthony Josh was doing. So, again, you know, basically upon history, Stiverne has that record of being able to go through the rounds. Um, and, you know, Deontay Wilder fought in a very different manner that night, whether it was because it was for the belt or because it was against Stiverne. I don't know. Um, but Stiverne was able to, to take his power and go through it. So I'd like to be able to see somebody of Stiverne's nature go through and do the same kind of thing. Okay, last question from David McGinley. If Chisora versus White were to happen later this year... Who wins? Mine? Um, yeah, so I think I clarified this one with David on Twitter that you're working on the assumption they both have one tune-up fight prior to that fight happening. Uh, I know Chisora's fighting is in next weekend out in Sweden um, against God knows who. So you give Chisora the same benefit and say that he's... Uh, sorry, you give White the same benefit and say that he's going to be fighting somebody of not a huge nature and then you build up that fight for December time. Um, it's, a, it's a good question. I'm still struggling to see the huge amount of... Um, uh, not even potential. The huge amount of talent and ability from Dillian White. Now, don't get me wrong, I like Dillian White. He's a nice fighter, but... Outside of that left hook against Anthony Joshua, what has he actually done as a boxer? Um, nothing particularly. You know, I saw an interview with Ian Lewison, the heavyweight from uh, from South London, who was talking about he he thought that Dillian White did a good enough job against David Allen, um, but he was surprised that he didn't try and get him out of there a little bit quicker. So you could put that down to maybe the shoulder uh, and the operation that White's had. I don't know. But I think he, I kind of that thought resonated with me a little bit in that I was surprised he didn't go more after David Allen and try and make a, an impression that maybe it was that he didn't back himself to do so. Whereas Derek Chisora, we know what Derek's about. We know what Derek's got. We know we probably don't know what he's got left is the only thing, uh, the only question mark hanging over him. What desire, what will. Um, those are the two kind of, as uh, Terry put it earlier, that reservoir of, of will. Dillian White wouldn't bring anything that Derek Chisora had never seen before in any way whatsoever. Um, and I just think that, yeah, I think Derek Chisora, if I had to take a punt out of the two of them, I think Derek Chisora probably has enough that he could still kind of, you know, old man Dillian White a little bit and out experience him. I haven't seen enough of Dillian White to say otherwise. Terry, Chisora White. Um. Derek will take him to school. Whatever you want to say about Derek Chisora, Derek Chisora is an experienced man. He's 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 been in with some of the toughest guys out there, you know. And apart from that second Fury fight, he hasn't really been found wanting in terms of desire. In fact, even then, he was prepared to come out. It was it was Don Charles that pulled him out. Um, Dillian needs to worry about Ian Lewison now. I've seen those two spar in Miguel's. Those two know each other. Uh, the, the, you know, they know each other pretty well. Um, when they were sparring, they both had issues around trying to maintain, you know, their athletic peak. Um, but 
look, if you, you have to survive four rounds against Ian Lewison, and Ian Lewison is probably the hardest punching heavyweight we have in England at the moment. I don't say that with any doubt, actually. I know people talk about Joshua, but when you see Ian Lewison hit someone, it's, it's otherworldly. And the thing is, Ian Lewison's had that since he was a junior in the amateurs. So, you know, he was meant to fight David Hay years ago in the amateurs. For some reason, that fight didn't happen. You know, there were always rumors about why it didn't happen, but they were meant to fight. Ian Lewison, a guy who's gone off the radar for a bit. I'd like to see Dillian and Ian go at it first before Dillian even tries to call out Derek Chisora. The winner of that fight should go against Derek Chisora. But we're talking about those two as if Dominic Akinladi doesn't exist. And look, all three of those guys have spied each other. They've all been in the ring together. So there's that familiarity. And if you said who out of those three, who do I think sits at the top of the tree? Probably Ian Lewison out of those three. And he's the guy that goes completely off the radar. And I, I, if you are a fan, do your YouTube research. Just get into Ian Lewison because he's a guy who, partly by boxing circumstance and partly of his own making, has been the forgotten man of British heavyweight boxing and he shouldn't be. And he's also the WBC Europe, uh, sorry, Asia Pacific champion. <laughs> Asia Pacific champion. Um, yeah, the man from South London going out and winning that in China. Um, Ian Lewison's a phenomenal talent. If he can get himself driven, motivated, and in a good place, Ian Lewison's a dangerous, dangerous man. Can I just quickly ask where you would put Terry um, Chisora in top ten British fighters across all if, the weights or heavyweights? Let's let's go uh, heavyweights. Okay, so Br- British heavyweights. I'm going to do this. This is going off the top of my head. So Fury number one, Hay number two, Joshua number three. Then it gets interesting because I'd put Chisora in at four. So that probably answers your question. And then beyond that, it's anyone's guess because the rest of them need to fight each other. But they're the guys who have done it at the top level. Okay, fair enough. Anything to add there? No, I'd concur with Terry. Okay, argue the inarguable. Terry, every fighter in modern boxing would pass a drug test. (laughs) Go! Well, it depends to find the drug test. If it's you got drugs in your system, then every fighter would pass with flying colours, man. Like we talk about the GCSEs and all the kids getting A stars. I mean, these boxers will be getting A triple stars for some of the stuff they're going through. You know, you got guys boxing looking at like the Incredible Hulk. It was, you know, all kinds of weirdness. But truth be told, look, they're all in it together. They're all in the same school. Let them take the exams. Let them get their A triple stars as long as they all go home safely. It doesn't benefit anyone if you take them away. How did that turn into slander? I, was, I thought that that was bulletproof. <laughs> Within three seconds, it was slander. <laughs> Great. Okay, Martin. If Anthony Joshua struggles to find any, oppos- in a, any opponents in the future, he should do a Brock Lesnar and go into WWE for a few years. Well, I mean, one thing we've seen of Anthony Joshua is that he's very um, fluid on a mic, and he's also got a team around him. So who remembers when his dad backed him up at the O2 after he won the world title, bowled into the middle of the ring, grabbed the mic and went, oh, my son doesn't take drugs. <laughs> so that's the kind of man you need backing you up. Like, that's your mic man with you. So if you think back to the days of like Bobby the Brain Heenan back in the old WWF, <laughs> right? He's got that with him. He's got Daddy AJ bringing it with him in terms of, you know, yeah, he doesn't take drugs. No one should take drugs. Take your pills, take your vitamins, be Anthony Joshua and probably take drugs. <laughs> Okay, I, I, I shot myself in the foot there, so right, 
That's enough. But don't be surprised if Joshua does end up doing some kind of WWE type segment really? in the near future. Yeah, the guy looks the He's part. He's a crossover. Mm, yeah, suppose. you'd do that, wouldn't you? You'd get him down if he holds onto his belt. Get him down. Do a little face off with if Roman Eddie Hearn wanted and wants to clearly, but if he wanted to properly build Anthony Joshua out in America. What better way than to get him on the WWE where you've got a lot of crossover fans who have clearly got an interest. Yeah, you know, the amount of adults that go and watch that shit um, that will turn up. Art. Yeah, but I mean, you had Mike Tyson on there, don't forget. Like, if Eddie Hearn can in some you way... Floyd. You had Floyd on there, yeah, fighting the big show. Well done, Floyd. Knocked him out. Um, broke his nose. Actually, for real, <laughs> broke his nose. Yeah, if you could in some way get Eddie Hearn... Oh, sorry, if Eddie Hearn could get Anthony Joshua into a WWE ring and in front of their huge viewing audiences... Um, then yeah, like it's not out of the question that it would happen at all. Okay, we'll uh, let you get on with your day. Um, oh, before we go, guys, guys, big shout out to Dave Allen. Um, he's had a he's had a tough week. Um, and you know he's had to take a step back from boxing due to mental health issues. And genuinely, from the bottom of my heart, thoughts and prayers are with him. Mental health, especially amongst men, isn't a joke. So if you've got male friends, I know we all have a laugh on this podcast, but every so often you've got to straighten your face and be a bit serious about life and share your problems because, you know, life is hard out there. So look, look David, man, I know you listen to this podcast. So, I mean, we're with you. All the best, man. Stay humble, work hard, and, you know, we'll hope to see you on the other side soon. Yeah, I actually, um, I exchanged a few messages with David. <laughs> he described me... um as his odd go-to person for... <laughs> I don't know why, but um, he messaged me on Twitter prior... There was a piece of Sky Sports ran with him before he announced his kind of... Or like, formally announced his departure short-term from the sport. He was asking whether it was a good idea or not. I said, you know, like, if it's a good idea for you, like, you need to concentrate on yourself a little bit for once. He's a very giving person, is Dave Allen. Um, so, yeah, just to echo the sentiments of Terry, really, that... He, you know, he didn't fight Saturday. He was meant to be fighting against Newid and Madoon. It didn't happen. Uh, he's going to take a bit of time away from it. And hopefully, um, you know, we'll see him back in the ring if that's for the best for Dave Allen. Like, if it's not, then I hope we don't see him in the ring again. I know he's previously done some work as a supply teacher. Um, you know, maybe he just wants a nine to five and get on with that kind of lifestyle. So, you know, wish him all the best irrespective. That's fair enough. Nice sentiment, lads. Okay. Don't forget to like the Facebook page, get in touch with us on Twitter. We want questions, questions, questions. Um, at No Age Boxing UK, at No Age Podfather, and at the Seven Wolves. Seven with a, a, a number. The number seven, yeah. Just, yeah, yeah I mean, ask the questions, man. The more obscure, the more, more taxing, the better. It makes life interesting. If you've got anything you want to put as an argue the inarguable, then by all means, put them in as well. No, don't do that. <laughs> the more obscure and difficult to argue, the better. Although, no, Terry will find a way to change it into something slanderous. Um, and if you want to team up for that as well, fair enough. Uh, okay, so what's left to say is um, goodbye from me. Goodbye from him. Take care, and we'll see you on the other side of Triple G.